Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Yeah, this is my last preach, which is very sad, but not my last Sunday. So I'm still here for a few more weeks, so you can't get rid of me just yet. Um, but yeah, if you are new or if you've not been to the Minster for very long, then we are super excited to have you with us. Um, as Sam said, my name is Pippa and I'm the student worker here. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in a series at the moment, which is called The Secret to Joy. Um, we've been looking at the book of Philippians. Uh, so you're probably familiar that Philippians is a letter written by Paul. Uh, he's writing from prison to the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi is significant to Paul because Philippi is the first church that was planted in Europe. So Paul is believed to have preached the first ever sermon declaring the name of Jesus in Europe there in Philippi. So this is big for Paul, but it's also quite exciting for us that we, this is kind of part of our ancestry as the church in Europe. Philippi was also a Roman colony, so lots of retired Roman soldiers would go and move to Philippi. And this gave it quite a kind of patriotic, nationalist sort of reputation, which only made things harder for Paul when preaching the gospel. While Paul was saying that Jesus Christ was Lord and Saviour, the people of Philippi were declaring that Caesar was Lord and Saviour. But despite this kind of tense political backdrop, Philippians is Paul's letter of joy. It's all about joy. And he writes this letter to encourage um, the early church in Philippi by showing them that true joy or the secret to joy is found in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else and nobody else but Jesus. So today we are looking at Philippians chapter three and I believe that Paul gives us three secrets to joy in this passage. Uh, so if you are a note taker, you might wanna write this down. Uh, these three points are to live simply, to know Christ, and to be found in him. Live simply, know Christ, be found in him. Great, so we're gonna dive into the passage and we are in Philippians 3, starting at verse seven. A little caveat, this is quite a dense passage. It's basically a sermon in itself. So if you're confused, don't worry, we will go through it together. Uh, but starting at verse seven. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Great, we're gonna pause there. So the first secret to joy is to live simply. I've actually put on my notes, live simply, brackets, and lose everything, which sounds a little bit dramatic. Uh, definitely sounds countercultural for uh, modern day life. I was um, reading an article the other day that was talking about consumerism, uh, and it was fascinating. It was saying that uh, back in the 70s, the average person would consume between 500 to 1,600 adverts every single day. 
And this was before the internet, so this was just television or billboards or kind of newspapers. And then a few decades later, and advertising has exploded into everyday life. So in 2007, the average person consumed 5,000 adverts every day. And then we jump forward to 2021, which is the most recent um, statistics. And it said the average person consumes between 6,000 to 10,000 adverts every single day. We are hardwired to digest massive amounts of information, the majority of which tries to tell us that if we make this purchase, we'll have a better life. Or if we go on this holiday, all our problems will melt away. Or if we buy those clothes, we'll be more attractive. Our thoughts are shaped around the idea that consuming stuff or gaining things will make our life better. And on the flip side, losing stuff will only make our life worse. Having is better than not having. But at the start of this passage in verse 7, Paul challenges uh, our perspective on this by actually saying the complete opposite. He says that whatever were gains, I now consider loss. The Greek word for loss in this passage more accurately describes those things as being damaging. So actually what he once considered good and meaningful and kind of fulfilling was actually doing him harm. And this isn't necessarily because everything is, uh, is kind of bad. Lots of things are good. It's nice to go on holiday or, or have new clothes. But if we expect those worldly things to be our source of joy, then we will always be left unsatisfied. And instead, what we do is fill up our life with more and more and more stuff until there's no room for Jesus anymore. So there is joy in simplicity, but there's also joy in loss. There's joy in letting go of the things that control us or take up our free time, the things that don't fulfill us, that kind of absorb our attention and distract us. For me, that is my phone. My screen time is awful. It's one of the things that gives me more guilt uh, than anything else. It's definitely the first thing that I reach in the morning. Um, this is slightly embarrassing, but actually, one thing that I've been known to do, I don't really know why I'm sharing this because it is that embarrassing. I've actually texted people in my sleep before and woken up. I saw someone do an audible gasp then. Uh, I've woken up and had no recollection of it. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't, and that's even more embarrassing. Uh, I definitely have a, a bad relationship with my phone. But you know what? When I can kind of force myself to, to give it up and to lose my phone, maybe for a day or a few days, I gain so much more. And I wake up and I reach for my Bible, or I go outside, or I just sit and do nothing. Can you believe that people used to actually just sit and do nothing? without any distractions, without their phone or without the TV in the background or music playing. Maybe you're great at that, but I find that a really difficult thing to do. I remember in school um, hearing about this famous psychology study um, where a guy called Timothy Wilson put participants uh, alone in a room. They had nothing in the room except from themselves and their own thoughts. And they were there for between six and 15 minutes. And it said the majority found the experience unenjoyable, they struggled to concentrate, and they couldn't relax. But the more interesting thing is he then repeated the exact same study, had people alone in a room, but there was one thing in that room, and it was a machine that could administer an electric shock. And the majority of participants preferred to give themselves an electric shock to literally cause themselves pain than just sit there and do nothing. 
Simplicity and stillness and lack of distractions are something that we find really difficult. But Paul says by creating those spaces and margins in our day, we open ourselves up to Jesus and therefore the source of our joy. And I don't think Paul is just talking about losing negative things in our life, but even good things can become an idol when their kind of presence in our life is more comforting and more important than Jesus as our source of joy. If I were to ask you, what are you most scared of losing in life? What are you most scared of being taken away from you? It would probably be something good, like your family or your job or your health. These are good things, but actually they become an idol when their presence is more important or more comforting or gives you more fulfillment than Jesus does. Paul teaches us that you can lose even that thing, even that most precious thing in your life and still be okay. On kind of God's set of weighing scales, if you like, God's side of the scale will always outweigh whatever is on the other side, whether it's good or whether it's bad. There's um, a phrase I like to say to myself, which is, if we have Christ, then everything is okay. And I will always have Christ, so things will always be okay. You can lose that most valuable thing in your life. And as Paul says, if you have Christ, that will consistently surpass anything else. And actually, Paul is speaking from experience. It says in verse 8 that he actually loses all things for Christ's sake. Before Paul's conversion, he has so much going for him. He has his wealth, his status, his title, friends, kind of a house and a family. He has his health and his freedom, but he still rejoices when he loses everything because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. With Jesus, you are rich enough to lose everything. I love this quote from a book called Beholding, which says, Jesus isn't merely a good idea or a ticket to an eternal banquet. He is the very essence and origin of pleasure, goodness, excitement, adventure, joy, and wonder. Not just because we find those things in what he gives us, but because we find those things in Christ himself. He is absolutely perfect and unimaginably satisfying goodness. Being with him is rest, hydration, and freedom. So the first secret to joy is simplicity and loss for the sake of Christ. The second secret is to know Christ. Actually, by losing all things, secret number one, we make space to know Christ, which is our second secret to joy. And actually, Paul tells us that everything we could ever have or do or hope for in this world pales in comparison to the immeasurable gain of knowing Christ and being known by Christ. In fact, it's so good that Paul considers everything else garbage, which in Greek literally means excrement. So Paul is not mincing his words. He really believes uh, what he's saying. And he says it twice in this passage. He talks about knowing Christ in verse 8 and in verse 10. So how do we know Christ? And actually, how do we get to know someone full stop? Well, I was asking Google, because obviously that's what you do. And uh, it was definitely talking about getting to know other people. But Jesus is a person, so we'll go with it. It said to ask genuine questions, to actively listen to their answers, to stay present, be honest, 
talk about yourself, spend quality time together, and even accept the awkwardness. Christ is a person who we can get to know. And as we get to know him, we learn things about him. We learn to recognise the sound of his voice, his movements, his mannerisms, what he loves, what he doesn't like, what he says about your life. And maybe you're here and you feel like, actually, I don't really know Christ. Maybe you know of him or you know things about him, but you don't know him personally. Well, you can ask him today. You can ask to know Jesus better. You can ask him to to teach you something new today that you didn't know about him yesterday. And the amazing news is that when you get to know someone well, you become more like them. You can predict what they might do or say in a situation. You can kind of think the way that they think. You start picking up their vocabulary and you sort of emulate the way that they live their life. As we come to know Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And this is good news for a number of reasons, but it's especially good news when it comes to experiencing joy. In Hebrews 1, chapter 9, it says, it talks about Jesus by saying, God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So Jesus is anointed with the oil of joy, which makes him stand out more than any other person. In other words, Jesus is the most joyful person to have ever lived and who will ever live. And actually by knowing Jesus and by becoming more like him, we can expect to become more joyful as a result. I don't know if anybody has watched the show The Chosen. Uh, I'm a massive fan. I'm seeing some nods. This is good. It's incredible. Uh, It's basically a series about the life of Jesus, which I really recommend you watch. Um, But I love that one of the kind of characteristics of Jesus that they, they go big on is actually his joy. And he's really funny and makes so many jokes and just laughs all the time and is just such a kind of joyful presence to be around. And as we get to know Jesus and spend time with him, we can expect that to rub off on us as well. So in verse 10, Paul talks about two specific things that he wants to know about Jesus. He says the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, even becoming like him in his death. Now, I like the sound of knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection, less so participating in his sufferings, definitely not interested in becoming like him in death. That's, that doesn't sound very joyful to me. But I think there's kind of this relationship between knowing Jesus and participating in life with him. And I've written down, it's a bit like a marriage. Now, I'm not married, so I might be completely wrong. Uh, But I've put, as you get to know your partner better and better, you start to participate in their life more and more. So when your partner suffers, you suffer with them. Or when your partner is joyful, you're rejoicing with them. When we know Christ personally and participate in life together, you become part of his death and resurrection and he becomes part of your life and your death and your story. It's not just about knowing him, but actually sharing life with him. And as we do that, we become more like him. Paul becomes more like Jesus by getting to know him and considering his loss and his sufferings and his time in prison as participation in Christ's life and Christ's mission in the world. Joy is found in knowing Christ, the most joyful person to exist, to experience all aspects of life with him and knowing that as you do that, you will become more like him as a result. And the third secret to joy is to be found in him. 
In verse nine, it talks about the joy of gaining Christ and being found in him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be found in Jesus? Well, Paul's goal was to lose all things so that he might know Christ and be like Christ, but also so that he could be who Christ created him to be. In other words, to find himself, if you like, in Christ Jesus. If we are made in God's image, then spending more time with him tells us more about ourselves, who we were created deep down to be. If we think all the way back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, that was God's perfect original plan for humanity to live and to work and to commune with God. So by losing all of our baggage and by getting to know Christ, we find our most unique, real, created, perfect selves. We are found in our creator. And that is what Paul experiences. He finds himself when he finds Jesus. It's a bit like a baker and a cake. Actually, it's not really, but go with me. Uh, the cake comes into being because the, the baker has created it. It's created it to serve a purpose, to feed people. The cake, in other words, is found in the baker. You can't ask a cake why it was created, but you can ask the baker and the baker will tell you why. And the baker knows the ingredients that went into the cake and how much and how much mixing and kind of what temperature to preheat the oven to. The cake, in other words, gets its purpose and its identity because the baker has made it. And it's the same with Jesus. He has caused us into existence. He has created us. So for us to understand ourselves kind of deep down who we're made to be, we must look to Jesus, the creator. Now, the phrase find yourself that we've been talking about has become a bit of a buzzword. It's normally what people uh, say, you know, in the early 20s when you go on a gap year to Thailand, like you go and find yourself. No shame if you've done that. Uh, but actually what that looks like is them going off and doing the finding, doing the searching, going and looking for meaning. But with Christ, we realise it's actually the other way around. That Christ has already found us at the creation of the world. He found you, he gave you meaning and purpose before you ever started looking for him. There is joy to be experienced when we find Christ and discover that he has already found us as well. And there's joy in knowing that wherever you go in life or however lost you might be, he has found you before and he will continue to find you wherever you end up. And actually that's particularly important for Paul who spent so much of his life traveling and visiting different towns and cities and countries that wherever he ended up, he had already been found in Christ. And that finding actually changes us. It says in the passage that when we're found in him, we are made righteous. There's joy in realising that before we did anything or before we started searching for Jesus, we have been found with him and put right with him ultimately on the cross once and for all. So the secrets to joy are to live simply, to know Christ and be found in him. And Paul carries on in the next three verses to give us a final word of encouragement. He says from verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We do all of this in the knowledge that every day we are moving closer and closer to heaven. That is the trajectory of our life. Discovering joy in Christ is a journey. And if we're honest, to say that Christ is all that we need and we're happy to lose everything and finding him and knowing him is all that we need, that is a challenge. I'm not there yet. Paul says twice that he isn't there yet either. But I'd like to think that by the end of my life and by the end of your life, you can look back and say truthfully, hand on heart, that Jesus, you are enough. That knowing you, that is enough. To be found in Jesus, that is enough for me. I'd love to be able to speak the words of Paul and actually mean them when he says everything else is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and being found in him. So let's keep going. We're not there yet, but let's keep our eyes on the prize and let's be expecting that as we do that, joy will take root in our life. Why don't we stand together and I would love to pray for us this morning. for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.